Hey, I'm excited to be here. My name is uh, Garrison Price. I get to serve here with uh, student ministry and young adults here at the Springs. Uh, and uh, it is a joy to be here this morning. I uh, was given the privilege to be able to teach back in January uh, for a couple weeks, and uh, I genuinely enjoy this. I-, I love it. I love the opportunity. And just to be here with y'all, I don't get to see a lot of y'all on Sunday mornings because I'm normally running around uh, like crazy uh, with different things with students and all that. And so it is just good to be in here uh, this morning. And so uh, John has asked me to teach today. He is off, kind of out of town with he and his wife uh, with some needed rest. I'm so thankful that he's able to get away. Um, Will you please do something for me today, over the next couple days? I'll give you a 24-hour period. Will you just text him and his wife or email, whatever, and just thank him for what he does? I know that y'all do such a great job of that, uh, but it is a sincere and holy weight that comes with leading a body and shepherding the body. And that is something he doesn't take lightly, uh, and neither does any of the staff or the trustees here at the Springs. And so will you do that of just saying, man, I'm so thankful for you and your investment here at the Springs and in New Braunfels. Uh, I think that would mean a lot. And we are, I know we all are thankful for his leadership. I am. I've become a better man because of his leadership. And so uh, I am so glad he gets to go and rest. And so today y'all are stuck with me, all right? And so uh, I'm excited to jump in. I also wanted to say thank you to everybody. This week we were at CLC in Dallas for an amazing conference, an amazing time. Uh, and I want to thank everybody that stayed home with kids to allow maybe a spouse go, everybody that took in kids to allow friends to go, uh, and uh, those of y'all that helped, whether it was financially, helped with a car, whatever it was, we thank you. Uh, because I truly believe the Springs is better and will be strengthened because of, of uh, the past three days that we were able to have up in Dallas. It was a worthy investment, trust me, uh, and it was for my life, and I know everybody that, uh, I would love for you to ask somebody, hey, will you tell me what you took out of that time up in Dallas, even personally, not just to bring down to the church, but that we are the church. All right, and so, uh, that being said, I'm going to jump right in, all right, and so, I'm a, if you know me, I'm a movie guy, all right, I love movies. Uh, and I like to break them down and not just watch movies, okay? I, I'm not just a typical, all right, you give me uh, sports, all right, or you give me some action and a couple cool violent scenes, and I'm like, whoa, you know, cool movie. I really do enjoy movies. Give me a good story, okay? Build some momentum, build some tension for me, all right? Character development, all those things, I love it. So, I'm going to show you a little slideshow of, seeing, of when I thought about teaching this morning, uh, something that was some juices that were flowing, right, of some movies that I and love, and I think that y'all uh, will enjoy as well. So first up, we have a young Obi-Wan Kenobi, all right? So those of y'all that know Star Wars, this is episode one, Phantom Menace, all right? And so, uh, yeah, we, they're kind of like the forgotten three, right? And so Obi-Wan... of laid on his hands. They're saying, hey, we hope that the force be with you, all that kind of thing, right? And that we hope that, uh, man, you are able to take us, right, and, and bring us to freedom. But if you notice, he's very young in this picture. He's very immature at times and raw. And so uh, what they had to do was bring in somebody to help him, right? And so who'd they bring in but Liam Neeson, am I right? And so Liam Neeson comes under the picture, all right? Also, uh, another Jedi comes in and helps him kind of train him up in the way he should go, all right, in kind of a way 
train him up. And then they have this sick scene where they end up like uh, fighting. Darth Maul is crazy. Uh, anyways, Liam Neeson helps Obi-Wan become the Obi-Wan we all know of, right? And uh, the Jedi that ends up being uh, somebody worth following. So all it took was somebody that was there and investing in him to kind of go into that untapped potential that Obi-Wan had, right? Y'all follow? All right, next movie. All right, so the next one, we have a young Orlando Bloom, all right? So Orlando, very young. Does anybody know what this movie is or what this movie is? Okay, my guy, Kingdom of Heaven. All right, so this is a movie called Kingdom of Heaven. Not very popular, all right? So uh, didn't get much of a reaction. So Kingdom of Heaven, uh, he is actually a blacksmith in a small village. Orlando Bloom, go figure. Uh, all right, and so he is there, and he is going against, it's during the Crusades. He's going against, uh, going to take over the city of Jerusalem for good. So he's a good guy, all right? And, uh, but he is also raw immature, uh, still growing, trying to figure his way to how to lead his people. And so who do they bring in to help him but Liam Neeson, all right? So Liam Neeson comes into the picture, all right? Liam Neeson is now in the picture, who's actually his dad, whoa, uh, all right? And he helps him come alongside, all right, and kind of continue to propel him to become who he was meant to be. And Orlando then becomes, uh, becomes himself in full effect if you get to the next picture, uh, yes, Legolas. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, he does not become Legolas. Different movie. Uh, but Orlando Bloom, y'all get the picture, brought in Liam Neeson. And last but not least, a young Bruce Wayne, all right? A young Bruce Wayne, Gotham, all on his shoulders. The hope for this city is all on this young man, all right? This is at Batman Begins at the very first, a great movie, by the way. Gotham lays on this man's shoulders in the weight of it, but he is not. He is running. He's a rebel. He's running the other way. He doesn't want the responsibility. There's this untapped potential that one man sees in him, and who is that man? None other than Liam Neeson, all right? And so Liam Neeson comes in the picture, who ends up being the bad guy in the movie, all right? Uh, spoiler alert, all right? And so, uh, but Liam Neeson trains him in this awesome scene on the ice, right? Uh, where they fight and everything, and finally Bruce Wayne, everybody stands up like, come on, you know, like, he beats him, and he's ready to be Batman. He's ready to return to Gotham and be Batman, the guy that we know, all right, the Dark Knight, but he couldn't have been or become Dark Knight without Liam Neeson, am I right? So we all need a Liam Neeson. Uh, anyways, with that particular set of skills, and so, and so, what do I mean by all this? Liam Neeson all right, these men, these young guys, these young men could not have become who they were meant to be without at least uh, another source. There was untapped potential. They were not yet who they could be or where they needed to be, right, in order to carry the responsibility, in order to live that life worth following. And so they needed an outward source, an outside source to help them get there, to tap into that untapped potential, so to speak. Y'all follow? And so, in this case, it was Liam Neeson. We're going to dig into how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need an outside source, another source that I believe, that I truly believe, we, we neglect a lot of the time. That I truly believe we cannot fully become who God created us to be without. That I truly believe that we cannot have a satisfied, full, abundant life, joy-filled life without. And I'll tell you all why I believe that as we dig in. 
All right? And so uh, those of y'all that realize we didn't have the video beforehand uh, with the James, which is awesome. Uh, I love that. So today we're going to kind of break out uh, of the James series as uh, John is away. And I'm going to teach on uh, a scripture that I've been chewing on lately um, a lot, actually. And I just, when John asked me to teach, he said, man, what are you thinking about teaching? And I said, uh, man, there's a few things. There's a few things I'd like to say. I always have something to say. Uh, there's a few things I'd like to say and share. Uh, but to be honest, it wasn't until about a week ago that I realized, all right, this is, this is what I'm going to teach. And why? Because it has, it has changed my life. And not only has it changed my life, within the last month, it's been crucial. And I just want to share with you all uh, what that has been and uh, pray that it brings uh, not only conviction but action uh, into all of us as the church. And so what we're going to study is First uh, Peter chapter 2, 1, and 3, or 1 through 3. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to break that down. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, if some of you are parents to kids in the student ministry right now, or stu- uh, yeah, to kids that are in our ministry, you have realized that uh, hopefully you've been talking about it with them, that we've been breaking down the book of 1 Peter. And uh, it's been amazing. It's been, there's been so much fruit that's come out of it. But I have been able to challenge all of our students to say, hey, this has got to be real. I am not up here. I cannot do this for you. I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but it will not cause you to act on it on your own. To realize that a relationship with Jesus Christ means a relationship, not being around it by certain people or friends, not by uh, words said that you can have this fancy language and be able to explain things. It's a relationship. And part of that, that call to these students and their leaders has been through the book of First Peter. And it's been amazing. And through this reading plan that we were able to uh, make for the students to follow along, to read along every day and abide in it. And so if you're a Christian in the room, this message, I pray, is used, as I said, as a catalyst, maybe a reminder if you haven't been here, maybe as a, um, and hopefully it is an encouragement to say, listen, there's so much more to be had. Don't miss it. And if you're a non-believer visiting with us today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray, I pray that you understand, one, that, man, God loves you where you're at. We love you where you're at, that God loves you and desires a relationship with you. And then two, that the world will try to tell us, and really Christians, non-Christians alike, the world is going to tell us what truth is and try to tell us what it is. And we have to know that this is the only source of capital T truth. Amen? We have to know that. And so that's my prayer for this message, that we walk away with a firm understanding that this is what I have to Base my life on, because everything else falls through. And so, we're going to learn three things today, three things, all right? As a little preview before we go in, all right, we are going to learn that, hey, we have to remove before we retain. Remove before we retain, all right? Number one. Number two, we must hunger before we fully grow. There has to be a hunger. You'll understand where that comes from. And we must know that God and his word are good, ultimately good. And so before we jump into that, uh, I would love to explain a little background behind what these verses are. Always, man, I'm a big fan of just context, understanding what these verses are, that we don't just jump into this book 
that may seem like, okay, these are just a bunch of words to live by. Okay, great. What does that mean? <laughs> that you don't leave here thinking, man, I, okay, I heard some cool things, but I don't really, it didn't stick. In order for that, and I think it's true of education, whatever that is, to have a full understanding of it before you move on. And so part of that is a setup of First Peter. And so Peter, disciple of Jesus Christ, yes, he's the same Peter that denied Jesus three times, right before, right before Jesus was crucified. Denied Jesus three times, but what's amazing about Peter is God had so much, Jesus had so much redemption and grace with him, saying, you are going to be this cornerstone on which I build my church. Without Peter, this church, this is merely a gathering, by the way, on a Sunday morning, but all of us would not be called the church without this man. And so Peter, knowing that weight, knowing that, man, it rests, the Lord had so much grace on me that I have to share it for everybody to understand. And so Jesus calls him the rock on which he'll build the church of Jesus Christ on. And so that's who Peter is. Peter is writing to the elect exiles, it says. Y'all are going to have to do some, y'all are going to have to do some studying for me. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 talks about this. It explains the whole book of it, sets it up before he gets going. So he's teaching to the elect exiles. What does that mean? Okay, it is Gentiles who have come to the faith. Men and women who are not Jewish, right, or Jews that have come to the faith. So these Gentiles are now hearing about the gospel. And so now they're excited. They're like, man, I got to tell. I got to share. And so now where they're at is Asia Minor at that time. Okay, Asia Minor, which was under Roman rule. We know all about the Roman, uh, the Roman rule at that time in that dynasty that it was. And you know that they, were, they hated Christians. It was extremely dangerous and treacherous for a Christian to walk. And so they, these elect exiles are going to spread. They're like, I don't care. I got to go in the front lines. I'm going into the trenches. I got to spread this gospel. And it's what Peter prepares them. The whole book of 1 Peter is all about is saying, hey, you got to, one, be firm in your salvation and know where that comes from. Two, you have to submit fully to, to the Lord who is your Savior. you got to submit. you got to go all in. And then three, hey, I'm going to prepare you for suffering that's coming. Those are three ways that the book is broken up into. Salvation, submission, suffering. 1 Peter. And so where we pick up, as we're about to read and jump in, where we pick up is right in the middle of that, okay? Part of salvation, being firm in your salvation and knowing where it comes from, mixed with some of the sanctification that happens. Sanctification, a big fancy word, just be, means that the process, once you come to know God, the process of becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification, all right? And so that's where we pick up, and so now you kind of have a little background on where we're about to read. And so jump in with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, excuse me, 2, 1 through 3, and it reads, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have a tasted that the Lord is good. 
You see, those three points that I came up with earlier that I said, hey, this is what we're going to break down. I pray that it's just all it is is just a reminder of saying, hey, these are three ways to have a greater love, understanding, and appreciation for the word of life that this is. That's what we want to walk away from. And so we're going to break these verses down and come to that conclusion. And so verse 1 says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That's a word, that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> Wait, I thought you were going to talk about, you know, come reading in the word, getting in the word. I thought you were going to talk about the word of God and all this. You're right. I am, but we can't get past this. We can't move on to verse 2 before we read verse 1. So, why does Peter start with this? The word so is a continuation. If you notice in chapter 1, the end of, uh, end of the chapter verses 22 uh, through 25, he talks about having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And then he charges them, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23 in chapter 1, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, cannot be killed. What does that mean? This word of God, and not only can your faith, right, or not only can your salvation in Jesus Christ not be killed, what he's saying is this has stood the test of time. His word can be trusted because it stood the test of time. There's so many way, more ways that it can be trusted, and we're going to dig into that. And he says, he quotes Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 8, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So that is what he's, remember this is a letter, they're reading it continuously. They're reading through, so that's what he just got done saying. So in order to understand where verse one comes from, we gotta know what was before. And so he's charging them, saying, you got to know of your salvation. And not only that, you got to know of this Lord that you have said and put your trust in with your life. That knowing he is good, knowing that he's imperishable, and knowing that this is the word of truth and has stood the test of time. And that it remains forever. That this is good news. And so we go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. The word so. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You see, I, I got to teach back in January on uh, Colossians chapter 3 when Paul's language, different author, Paul's language was put away or put off. Remember that? Put off the old self, put on the new. We talked through some of that language. Same idea here that Peter's trying to under, get you to understand. Just like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when it talks about communion. Before you take communion, let there be no ill intent in your heart. Let there be no uh, conflict between you and your brother. Before you approach communion, make sure that you're there with a pure heart, with pure intentions. And it's the same idea here that Peter continues on of saying, hey, you must put these things away before you can consume. Because you must remove before you retain. You must remove something before you retain what this word has for us. 
So when we approach the word of God, the living and active word of God, there must be something that has to be removed before we can fully, hear me say, fully retain what God is trying to say to us through his living and active word. What are the things we should ignore? Or excuse me, not ignore, put away, not ignore. Please don't, yeah, please don't ignore. What are the things we should put away? Malice. It's just the idea of anger that is boiled up in your heart. Is the idea of this mischief that's in your heart that you desire somebody else to suffer. That if you don't do it, that you desire to see bad done to somebody else. Man, I thought we were going to talk about the word of God. (laughs) Put away all malice, wrongdoing, all deceit, deception, thinking in your mind that I'm not living in this way. I'm I'm not approaching the word of God, right, with any of these things on my heart. Deception of saying that I believe, I I. I can say, and it's going to go into flattery as well, I can say all the right things, but my heart doesn't believe it, and yet I'm living in deception. So he's saying, put away malice, put away this deceit. Flattery, falsehood, delusion, this has to die. Put it away. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy. I don't have to say much more. Hypocrisy, malice, deceit, hypocrisy. What he means here is counterfeit piety, right? It, all it is is the act of acting religious. Counterfeit, it's fake. We do it for the awards, we do it for the uh, admiration, we do it for the wrong reasons. That's what we have to put away. On a personal level, this looks like high compliments in which we don't truly believe about one another. Or pretend friendship when it was never intended. This is what Peter uses, he's trying to explain through this word hypocrisy here. That's what we got to put away. Envy. Again, kind of like hypocrisy, a word we know all too well. It's simply the grieving Listen to this. The grieving at the good of someone else. Grieving that somebody else is doing well. Grieving that somebody else is not as, um, let's see, miserable or, uh, man, confused or in trouble as ourselves. Grieving at the good and welfare of those around them, whether in fame or prosperity, whatever that is, and then slander, just speaking against one another, cutting them down, even behind their back, making somebody else look less than your, to make yourself look better, that's slander. Making them seem less in your own words and intention of words because we envy or feel threatened by them. If we feel threatened by someone, it is very likely there is envy there and there will be slander that follows. And so what Peter is trying to say is before you get to the good stuff, we got to put away the bad, right? We have to put away and go in with clear intentions, with a clear conscience of knowing that, God, I surrender these things. I'm guilty of all five of these. I don't know about you. 
But I know that when I approach this to say, God, what do you have to teach me through your word? That I know that I have to say, God, rid me of this. Rid me of worry. Rid me of why I don't trust you. Rid me of my envy for somebody else that may know this better than I do or doing better than I do or making more money than I do. Rid me of that so that I can be open and vulnerable and open for what you have to teach me. That's what Peter is trying to say here. Those things have to die, church. And when we come to the word and say, I didn't get really a lot out of it, I would ask you what's going on internally when you read. What is blocking that good conscience? What is blocking your way to receive the word of truth and the word of life? Just like I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about communion, approaching the throne, approaching communion with a pure heart, knowing that, man, I have resolved conflict with somebody before. Knowing that, man, I have, uh, I can honestly say, man, people know me, I've confessed and I've repented. And that I'm not a hypocrite going to take communion, acknowledging that Jesus Christ's body was broken for me, his blood was shed. To have unity with me in a relationship. The same is true about the word of God. The same is true about the word of God. And so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. All right. We're off to a hot start to the word of God, am I right? (laughs) All right, so uh, we have a... uh, We're going to keep rolling. We're going to keep rolling. And I'll explain why this is so important and why that comes first. So we're going to continue. See what Peter then comes out. Okay, Peter, we got it, man. All right, we feel pretty bad about ourselves, all right? We feel pretty bad. We get it, Peter. We get it. The word is imperishable. All right, we know the Lord is good. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, you mean put away all these things? Okay, I get it. We're moving on. What next? Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that it may grow up into salvation. Now, if you realize what he is talking about, if you didn't know context, you would understand what the heck is spiritual milk, right? (laughs) What he's talking about is the word of God. He's still continuing that thought. Is imperishable seed. It is good. It is the good news. So that is what spiritual milk is here. Like newborn infants, how they long. They only know when they're hungry. And you know it when they cry, right? They only know when they're hungry. They only know when they're tired. They're going to show it. They're going to cry. But as they long for it, it says here that so we shall long for this word. We shall long for this spiritual milk. Here's the thing about babies. If they don't eat, they don't grow. Same with us. And that is exactly why Peter's trying to say here, if we do not consume here, there is no growth that happens. We have to Hunger, it says, and long, because that drives to action, does it not? When we're hungry, we go get food. 
When we're thirsty, we go get a drink. It causes action, so we have to hunger before we fully grow. We have to hunger, excuse me, hunger before we fully grow. We have to hunger before we consume. We must hunger before we fully grow. You see, uh, that's the same truth. It's a, it's a very simple truth that Peter's trying to set a point across here, or get across, excuse me. If you don't hunger, you, it doesn't cause you to action, move you to action. If there's no action towards eating, you don't grow. And church, I say, if there is no action in the word of God, there's no growth. Now, hear me say, the growth to who you could be and who the Lord is wanting you to be and desire you to be to the full extent of life-giving relationship, life-transforming relationship that he desires. You see, you can grow by, yes, sanctification, being around people, association, that is true. You can grow by a worship. You can grow by hearing good teaching. Yes, that's so true. Don't hear me say that is not. But without this, the level of spiritual maturity that comes from this growth will never be there if there's not this. Does that make sense? There has to be a hunger for it because we understand that this is vital for life. That this is truth because newsflash, I don't know if y'all know this, but man, the world will try to tell us what truth is. And they're going to tell you it's in your thoughts, it's in your mind, the power of the mind. Just put your will towards something. Put your heart all in. They're going to sell you things that say, man, this is truth. And you're going to understand that it is all in vain, that it all falls through. And you're going to wonder when this isn't what you base your life off of, how did I get so far away how have I lived 40 years of my life not knowing truth? Not knowing that this is what I get to build my life on. As a baby, as newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You see, you have to know that this is truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof. Uh, it's for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training up in righteousness. Okay, so we know that this is the very word of God, it says. If this is true, then I've got to rely on that. 2 Timothy 3.16. You see, I love this. It says, the word of God, when longed for and used in the right way, never leaves the reader the same way. You never walk away from it the same with an open mind, an open conscience, knowing that you've put away these things before you've approached the word of God. You do not walk away the same. That is the power of the word. If you do not consume, you will not grow. It's pretty simple. I don't know about y'all. This is extremely convicting for me because I then think about my own life and say, man, God, do I long for this? Do I hunger for this? Like it says in Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, I love this, that, that Peter honestly quotes here, we're going to learn here in a bit, uh, and, and uh, the third point, excuse me, we're going to learn that he's quoting Psalm 34, verse 8, coming up. You see, Peter knows these things, and he knows these people may know the truth, and what I love about him is he's making his argument with the word of God. This is not just mere word by a man that just says, oh, okay, like, I, I, it's been about my, you know, I've, I've, had, I've seen this. So I'm just going to throw some random things out there and hope you take it, hope it sticks. He is basing his argument on this. And he's encouraging them of saying, if you don't base your life on this and on Jesus Christ and know your salvation, the suffering that's coming in chapters 4 and 5, you'll wonder what happened. You'll wonder how you got to the place you're at, asking yourself, is God good? Asking yourself, how do I not know this, my left from my right? Because we have no direction, and we didn't believe that this is true of what he says. You see, like I said, it's just a hunger, guys. It is a longing for something. When I was a, uh, when I was a freshman in college, I went to uh, Dallas Baptist University, and I, I joined the baseball team. I, was, I left uh, Kingston Springs, Tennessee uh, at 185 pounds. I was six foot two, 185 pounds, all right, uh, for four months, for four months. I was a catcher. I was pretty slim for a lot of the guys on the team, so I was like, man, I'm going to go all in on workouts. I'm going to go all in on an eating plan. I'm going to do it right. Okay, so uh, I go to DBU, I go and play baseball, I get all these workouts, they're extremely tough. They push me to my limits, and we are eat. I cannot stop eating, let me tell you. I cannot stop eating because of how much exercise, what I'm putting in to these workouts to practice this six hours a day, I'm on the field or in the weight room, something to do with baseball. And so I cannot stop eating, I can't get enough food in me. Right? I was growing like a weed, my dad would say. <laughs> and so I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating, working out, working out, working out. I come home at Christmas, <laughs> six foot two, 223 pounds. I put on 38 pounds in four months, all right? 38 pounds in four months. And there was a, a man, I remember my nickname growing up. My, I had some family friends, and my family called me G Baby, all right? So they called me G Baby growing up. Anybody, Hardball? Anybody seen Hardball? All right, sweet, uh, <laughs> great. So uh, anyways, Hardball, there's a character in that movie called G-Baby, and I remember as a kid, I loved that nickname. So when I come back, I had some friends come over, all right, I had some friends come over, those family friends that called me that, I come back a different person, right? Come back at 223 pounds, 38 pounds heavier than I left, and they walk in and like, gee, baby, need to go on a run, you know what I mean? They walk in and like, goodness gracious, what has happened to you? And I realized just telling them, saying, man, I cannot stop eating. Like I long, I just can't stop. It's like, it's an, it was an obsession. It was like, man, I was eating six meals a day. I was trying to work out and do everything that I could to be a better player, to grow me as a player. I could have used some more cardio in there to help out too. But anyways, that's beside the point, right? But in order to become this of what I thought was needed to perform, what, what I thought was needed to sustain the, um, the rigorous schedule of a, of a season, 
of 60 baseball games away from home, away from a constant diet, all these things I understood as all of us did that were eating the same way. There were guys around me growing like crazy too. That that has to sustain you for the next five months in the spring because what you put in the fall will hopefully pay off in the spring. And so with this end goal in mind, I knew like, man, I, I have to. I didn't know any better. I was just following coach's orders and the guys around me were doing it, so I'm doing it. I'm going all in. And it genuinely did help. It genuinely made, helped me become a better player. It helped me sustain and understand what work ethic was. It helped me with discipline. It helped me grow me as a man and grow as a man. I have a much harder work ethic when I left those four months than I did going in. Because I had this end goal in mind of who I know that could be. And I had a longing, a desire, a hunger, a literal hunger, right? For food. And that is the same idea that I'm trying to get across to us right now. Of saying, hey, we know. Some of us have been living, and here's the deal. Remember, salvation only comes by grace through Jesus Christ. The grace of God through his son, by faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. That is the way you are saved. Not how much you read, not all these things that you can do in works of righteousness. That is not what get you saved. Hear me say that. But I do believe there is so much more in the tank for us, church. There is so much more capacity to be had that is untapped potential as you as a disciple maker and disciple of Jesus Christ that we are missing out on when we do not dig into the word of life. Amen? And I don't want that for any of us. I don't want that for myself. I'm going to speak for myself. I want to be all that God has called me and created me to be. In a hunger for his word and the understanding of his word and writing on the tablets of my heart that I know my left from my right, it says in Joshua 1.8, or Joshua 1.8, I write these commandments, that your law is pure, that it is good. I got to base my life on that. When everything else fails, I want to know truth. And I want to know that I know who I am and whose I am. And not only that, that I stand on the rock of the word of God. Just like Peter is encouraging his followers. And so... We're going to continue to move on. Peter desires these men and women to grow as, a, as, God, uh, grow as God intends them to do. And so he continues of saying, verse 3. Okay, we're going to read 2 and 3 together. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have at once, at the point of repentance, I don't know where you're at currently, but at once you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? Everybody can probably say, hey, if I have truly known the grace of God, I can say that, yes, I have tasted and seen, at, maybe at that one time, maybe it's a continuous thing, I pray, it's a daily thing, that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Peter is not questioning that. He says it's a fact. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What he's doing here is, like I said, he's quoting Psalm 34, 
verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. All right? And what they're saying is, hey, that's the same idea of saying that taste and see that the Lord is good. That he is a shelter, that the salvation is in him. That he is a worthy refuge. Psalm 34, verse 8. What's funny about that psalm is David is writing that in suffering. David is writing that after very nearly escaping death. He escapes death very close to dying at that time. And 1 Samuel 21 is when Psalm 34 is found. And David is saying, I have tasted that you are good. I have only you to rely on. I nearly died. Thank you, Lord, that you are a shelter. Thank you that I can find my refuge in you. When death is at my door, through suffering, he rejoices in the tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And he writes that out of a song out of his heart saying, I have tasted and I know. The funny thing about taste is that you can't be far away and taste that the Lord is good. The difference between taste and all the other senses from hearing, from seeing, from smelling is you can't be far away. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is only found when we're pursuing a relationship with Jesus, when we're pursuing the Lord, knowing that I am abiding in your truth, whether whatever may come my way, I know who you are. How awesome is that? That God not only wants us to just see him, see my magnificence, right? See my majesty, see all these things. That he wants us to taste that he is good. That he wants to taste that his word is true and profitable for reproof, correction, for teaching, and training up in righteousness. That's the God I want to follow. I don't know about you. That's the God I want to know. And out of that heart is what comes that hunger. You ask in point, or point number two of, okay, where does that hunger come from? This is where that hunger come from, comes from, is knowing that the Lord is good, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And so my third point is very simple. We must know that God and his word are good. You know, I heard... Uh, I was listening to this past week. One of my buddies, Chase, got up on stage uh, in Dallas, and uh, he had kind of brought some things to light out of darkness um, with an addiction to pornography while he was leading on staff. And what's amazing about that, what, what that story is we saw true repentance, true repentance of him coming up in front of everybody saying, this was where I was at. I was living in darkness for two years while I was living as a hypocrite, teaching these things and teaching these students, he was a student pastor, of saying, go all in, all this, live in repentance, live in the light, and he was living in darkness. And what was amazing about his story was that the men that came around him and hugged him on stage as he shared, this is where I was at eight months ago. This is where I'm at today. And what's amazing that he started to say is saying, Man, in those times, I started to doubt. I started to doubt that the Lord is not good, that he doesn't want the best for me, that there's not freedom found in a relationship with God. He started to doubt. And then he said, I woke up when I shared with my wife, 
We shared, and I remember her telling me, the Lord is good, and the reason I can respond with grace and love and hug you is because the Lord is good. I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good, that there's grace and abundance of life and forgiveness and mercy through the Lord. And that now, eight months later, he can stand on a stage and say, I have nothing to hide. I'm living in the light and being known and accepted and forgiven and loved by God who loves me changed everything for me and remembering every single day I have to remind myself that the Lord is good and that a life with him and not in the world or what the world will tell you is good that a life with him is what brings life because God does not want to rip you off he wants to set us free God doesn't want to rip us off through his word he's not trying to and Peter is trying to explain that to his followers if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. You see, David goes on to say, as he, as he teaches in Psalm 34, what Peter's quoting here, of saying that, man, uh, David is saying, man, I know that tasting the Lord is, right, I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. May I rejoice and be glad in it. I know that he's a uh, salvation, that he's a refuge for me and a shelter for me when I'm in trouble. Although there is suffering that comes my way, he ends this. He says, he who fears the Lord lacks no good thing. And church, I want to remind us as I close that this is not legalism having time making time in the morning making time whatever it is to say man i want to taste and see the lord is good i desire i want to hunger for it this is not a checkbox this is the difference between life and death this is not a checkbox to be able to throw verses out there and be whatever and say yeah i know this and know that and it not transform our hearts this is the difference between a life, a full, abundant life, and joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, to where you can become the full capacity disciple of Jesus that he created you to be. And without it, without it, will never be. What I love about when Jesus gets tempted, right, by, uh, by Satan, by the enemy, he responds with scripture. When David is tempted, how can a young man keep his way pure, Psalm 119.9 says, by guarding it according to your word. My community group has to remind me of that all the time. Through region, that has been a verse that has been on my mind and on all of our guys' minds all the time of saying, hey, where are you in God's word? This is where community comes in. Where are you in God's word? What are you learning from it? Are you teaching it? Are you writing it on the tablets of your heart? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good today? And are you guarding according to your word? How can a young man keep his way pure? Young woman, by guarding it according to your word. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. There it is again. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. 
One of my favorite, uh, some of the commentary I read as I prepare, and man, for uh, really since I was in college, one of my favorite guys, his name is Matthew Henry, um, and uh, very well known. And uh, one, one thing he says here that I absolutely love, and I quote him, the word of God is the instrument whereby he discovers and communica- communicates his grace to his men. The word of God is the instrument whereby he discovers and communicates his grace to his men. I don't know if any of y'all have heard of this man named Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. Okay, this guy uh, ran a very successful law firm in Chicago in the 1800s. Very successful law firm in Chicago in the 1800s. And Horatio had uh, four daughters, right, and a son, okay, a family, loved his family, loved the Lord. He would share truth all the time in his firm. He would share truth with those. He was a writer as well. Spafford's law firm at one day burns to the ground. Right before that, his son passes away. So he's lost a son. Now his whole life, what he's built, his own law firm that he's built, burns to the ground. Because of the sheer just uh, horrific scene of their son dying, of of the law firm burning down to the ground, he sends, he says, hey, I'm going to go be with friends. He has some friends that are in England at the time. He sends his wife and his daughters, says, because of a, a difference, I don't remember what it was, uh, because he has to send them early on a ship over to England. He's going to follow a few days later. What happens after that is that that ship wrecks that holds his wife and his daughters, and all of his daughters pass. All of his daughters pass. He gets a note from his wife saying, I'm alone. Fill in the blanks of why she said that. I'm here by myself. And so what he does is he gets on a ship and he goes to England to be with his wife. And he looks and says, as the sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. He is the writer. He wrote, it is well with my soul. The hymn that we grew up singing The hymn, the song that we hear Bethel sing now, it is well with my soul. And for somebody with such horrific things that have happened to him with losing everything, a Job-type experience, that he is on this ship going to his wife that they have now lost their whole family, all of it, nothing left, nothing to go home to, and yet he still says, I have nothing left, but it is well with my soul. Because God, I trust that you are good, even in the midst of the worst circumstance, even in the midst of everything that I had, everything that I own has fallen. I have to trust that you are good, and I have to trust that your word is true, that my, why, are your, why is my soul so downcast? Why is so downcast my soul? David says, but I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That he is worthy of refuge and worthy of praise. That he who fears the Lord lacks no good thing. And I can't help but think that Horatio was thinking that at that time in all the horrors. 
of what have just happened in his circumstance, of him on a ship by himself and writing it down and forcing his pen to write, it is well with my soul. Because he was rooted in the truth that God is good and his word is good. That it is capital T, truth. That is all we can hold on to. That has stood the test of time. That it is imperishable seed even when everything around us perishes. It is well with my soul. And so I ask and close with the question, what are we rooted in? If you haven't ever read this before, great. Let's talk. I'd love to help you find somewhere to start. So many of us I know would. If some of you are saying, man, I know this, I've grown up around it, but I don't remember the last time I've actually spent time in the word. I don't remember the last time I put these things away before I consume, before I retain. Great. That's the first start. That's the first step. Awesome. Acknowledge. Pray, Lord, I surrender these things to you so that I might see what you have. Open my eyes, it says in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes so that I may see good from your law, may see good from your word. That's the prayer we pray before we approach the word of God. And if you're here saying, man, I, I can honestly look inside and say, man, I... I have an abiding relationship with Jesus, and I have a constant and consistent time with the Lord. And I'm reading, and I am writing it on the tablets of my heart. I have tasted the sea, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Well done. Keep going. And be all the more on watch. All the more on guard. As Peter finishes in suffering in chapter 5, says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to destroy And so, as we look back, we learned that, hey, we must remove before we retain. Remove before we retain. We must hunger before we fully grow. And we must know that God and his word are good. I pray that we leave knowing that. That's the truth to take away, that God, you have my best in mind. Know the Lord. Excuse me. We must know that God and his word are good. And so how do we apply this? How do we apply this? One, we gotta make time for his word. We gotta make the time. There's no secret formula. There's no prayer. God, help me get in your word. Pick up the Bible, get in the word, all right? It's pretty that simple. Make the time. Make the time for it. Invest in his word. Do just what I was just saying, or what we just read, what Peter was saying. Hey, put away, invest, have that. Man, pray that you can see things in it. Invest in that time. It's not just a verse here and say, okay, great, I learned that. Like, no, man, invest. Spend the time you need to taste and see the Lord's good. Taste and see that his word is rich and abundant in life. Invest. Live in abundance by his word. Like, Matt, what, like that quote that I read earlier saying that, man, the word of God leaves no man the same. I promise you, 
If you make the time and invest time in his word consistently, and when you see that, remember I said it's not a checkbox. This is not legalism, me telling you to do things because you have to. This is out of that worshipful heart of saying, man, I hunger and thirst for you, Lord. I know that you are true, and I promise more joy, more life, more fulfillment will come as he has promised. Live in abundance by his word. And lastly, know the Lord through his word. You get to know him, man. It's sweet. You get to know the Lord through his word. This is how we know who he is and who he says to be, who he promises to be. I encourage us, make the time, invest the time, live in full abundant life through his word, knowing that what's, that's what you're putting your roots in, that that's what you're putting your life on. And know him through his word. Milk. Y'all like that? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, I know, it's cheesy. But I hope it helps. Something applicable and something easy for us to take with us of saying, man, these things right here. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Long for his word. Long for the Lord. I promise you will not be dissatisfied. And that's what Peter is reminding us in those three verses. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, God, uh, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that you say in 2 Timothy 3.16, that it is the breathing and active word of God, profitable, God, that it is for our profit, not for strain, not for something to do, not because you point your finger down at us. God, thank you, Lord that you love us and desire a relationship with us, that taste has to be at close quarters. Thank you, Father, for the disciple of Peter. Thank you, Father, for his words and that we could be encouraged by them this morning, Lord. God, I pray that we as the church, not a building, but as the church, the living active body of Christ, that we may go live an abundant life knowing that, man, we are rooted in the word of God that we know truth when the world will toss us everything else. Lord, we love you. We acknowledge you as king of our lives. Grow in us, Father. Help us grow as disciples of you. Amen. Awesome. Hey, let's go, church. Let's get after it. Have a great week of worship. Thank you all so much.